What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. John, are you ready for the wrestling business to change all over again? We'll see. Let's see what happens first. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to... I just can't wait to next Wednesday to see what's going to... What both companies are going to put on. What's what's AEW have up their sleeve? What does NXT have up their sleeve? Um, it's I know we're for sure going to see some good damn wrestling from both sides. So... I'm excited. So we're going to talk about next week's schedule. We'll talk about NXT. We both watch NXT this week. And also, uh, I did an interview with Robert Silva uh, a little bit uh, earlier this week, and we talked about his uh, lightweight series that he that he was writing for, for the website. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, he ranked all the uh, the lightweights of all time, his top five, and he wrote biographies on them. And then we're also going to talk about the fight this weekend, Errol Spence against Sean Porter, and uh, and he'll he'll add some some you know his two cents on uh, the Tyson Fury fight from a couple weeks ago as well. But um, we'll get to that. But first, the thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, we're 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 doing you know we're we're going to be covering the Wednesday Night War NXT and AEW head up. And WWE today has so much more product than they did when it was just the Monday Night War. But what what are your memories of the Monday Night War? Because, you know, we were in high school uh, going into college and I just, uh, you know, I, I remember there just for whatever reason, you know, there was just two wrestling shows on at the same time. But I didn't really understand what it was until, you know, until we had the internet and then we had the newsletters and I was able to read the observer and listen to Dave on Iyata. And it was all about checking the ratings on, on Tuesday. Like that was a, such a huge deal to see who won the ratings. But what are, what are some of your memories of, of the Monday night war? And did you realize what was going on as you were watching it? No, I didn't know there was a war at all. I just thought that we were just getting two wrestling shows now on Monday nights and I just remember when Nitro came on, I was super excited, but also like it just looked weird to me at the you know the Mall of America thing, and I just was taking it all in. I was stoked to see Liger versus Pillman because you know that match from Super Brawl Two was such a big match for me um, growing up, and and then I just lost my lost my head when Lex Luger came out at the end of the show and. It was just that just set it all off. Like I was super excited that night, and I just couldn't wait to watch the next one. And but I still watched Raw too. Like it was just my what I did, and you know, wasn't rooting. I was a little more of a WCW fan, so maybe I was a little on that side. But I didn't know about the ratings war or anything like that until probably until I got on the internet, which was you know soon after. But I I didn't really care to talk about the ratings wars on there. I just wanted to talk about what was going on, the matches, uh, what's going to happen next, who's going to, you know, all that kind of stuff. I enjoyed that stuff, but I didn't really care about who was winning what. I just I just was ha- enjoying watching some really good wrestling. Okay, so you're watching Nitro, and you hear Eric Bischoff start to give the taping results on what's about to happen on Raw, which, like, because we, we got it on the West Coast, so Nitro was on at 5, uh, and we didn't get to see Raw until, what was it? Uh, 8 o'clock. Was nine, it 8 nine, or 9? Nine? Nine, nine, it was 9, nine right? Nine, so, nine yeah. so, so you know, we, we actually got quite a jump on uh, on Nitro. Uh, maybe, maybe Nitro was at 6, I don't remember, 5 or 6. But anyway, when you're seeing Bischoff 
basically telling you what you're going to see on WWF. Like at that point, you had to think like, oh, shoot, like this is not normal. Like they don't usually call each other out, you know, like this, like that, that had to give you a little bit of a sign of what the stakes were. Yeah. About that time when he did that, that was definitely like, oh, man, wow. But it it didn't, didn't stop me from not watching Raw later that night. I still watched it, still enjoyed it. Um, I was more into Nitro at the time early on because, of course, Nitro was, you know, new. And then they had, like, a lot of cool surprises and new talent showing up, like Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, the guys that I was, like, you know, tape trading for, right? So that was exciting. And then you had Brian Pillman as the loose cannon gimmick, which I was just, just totally into. Just I couldn't get enough of it. And... And, you know, I, but then again, I, like when it came to Raw, I was just as just as excited to watch it, too. And I, I enjoyed their product as well. So as as you're watching what is essentially at this point, four hours on Monday night and it would extend to five. And then you realize that Nitro comes on like uh a minute early or two minutes mm-hmm. early and then you know they they both go off the air after nine or after 11 o'clock and like at that point you have to like are, are you rooting for somebody or are you just like hoping that both of them do well because i don't think i ever realized that if one of them did so much better than the other that it could actually mean the end of the business for them. Like, I didn't realize that until much later, you know, in the late, late 90s, like when, when that, that was the talk. Like, I I was a little bit more pro uh, WCW, like you said, just because the talent was newer and fresh. And obviously, I was a big Hogan guy, so Hogan was on that show. But once, you know, late 97, which I I will admit I wasn't watching every week at that point, Early 98, when uh, Austin is taken off and then, you know, soon thereafter, Rock and, and Foley, I very quickly switched allegiances to, to WWE. And, and the show was just better at that point. But, like, what what were the stakes for you as a viewer? Did you care? Were you rooting? Did you care who won in the ratings? Or, you know, was it just about which show had the better matches? Like, how were you sort of grading this uh, as it was going? Well, early on, I didn't really care about the rating stuff, obviously, but but later on, I did when it became when I was on you know online the message boards talking to other fans, and they were you know clearly some people just were pro WWF and or pro WCW. I was such a big WCW or NWA fan growing up, and they're always the underdog compared to this you know you know big successful WWF. Um, even my friends who watch wrestling would say, "Why oh, you watch that one? Why don't you watch WWF?" You know. <laughs> so I was always rooting for the underdog, and so I I was a little bit more on WCW side because I was loyal to a lot of guys on there. Like I said, Lex Luger, Sting, Flair, um, and then you had you know now you had Benoit there, which I was such a huge nut over, and uh, you know guys like Guerrero Malenko, and I was like, "This is a good show. You should get it." You know, people why people are just totally hating on WCW and wanting to fail, but. You know, WCW, of course, as history shows, they got overconfident and they didn't build new stars. They relied on the old stars too much. And in the WWF, you know, they adapted and created new stars and with Austin and Rock and Mick Foley and and so on and so on. And they prevailed and WCW went out of business. Is there a specific night that you remember 
where you just felt like, wow, like both of these shows are, are off the hook and, and they're so great. And then on the flip side, is there was there a night where you remember you're like, wow, like both of these shows kind of suck right now? That was probably like sometime in 1999 when it both sucks. Because <laughs> <laughs> WWF had some just a lot of, like it was like in a transition of like wacky wacky gimmicks with like untalented like they're they're not i can't say untalented but mm-hmm. you know they end up getting better you know you know when 2000 happened that was for for raw for wwe was just insane those shows are awesome especially if you go back to watch like stuff with um you know when benoit was there benoit and the rock going at it on raw you know just having great matches um i don't remember a specific night or specific show but but you know, it, it, but I was into everything, you know. Like I kind of still am. I'm still, you know, always watching stuff. So, but like I was just happy to watch it. You know, I was just excited because it's like, you know, Monday night became what wrestling night, right? It's like mm-hmm. that. That's just my schedule's filled. Sorry, I, I cannot do anything on Mondays. I'm just busy, right, for the whole year and year after that and after that. So, um, but I don't remember speak, speak of like each show having the same night. That I can just remember was the greatest like two nitro raw night ever but uh, i just remember there's a lot of great moments on each show did was there a point you know we're talking in the the late 90s and then the uh the early 2000s you're at that point you know you're in your early 20s uh was there a point where you're like oh, i can't watch both of these like i'm just gonna pick one you know and maybe i'll if if someone says you know there was some good matches on WCW or WWF, then I'll, I'll you know I taped them, so I'll, I'll go watch them back. But was there a point where you were just like, okay, one th- this is not worth it to do to watch this much wrestling? Uh, no. <laughs> but like I said, Monday nights were my night to watch wrestling, and then eventually, because you know back when I was growing up, I had a friend that introduced me to wrestling, but he was quickly out of it and on to other stuff. And then I was basically on my own going up, yeah. going through high school. So it was after like '97 when I met people at Opera Wrestling, and there was a group of us getting together, and we would watch Nitro and Raw that same night. So yeah, that's what we would do. So now, fast forward some twenty years later, nineteen years later, um, and we're gonna do it again. And this time, it's a little bit different. Mm. We have families. We have jobs, full-time jobs. Have you thought about how you're going to watch everything? Because, you know, and we'll talk about the schedule in a second, but Monday, Tuesday, or sorry, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then the weekend, there's generally something going on if you are watching UFC, WWE, and or boxing, it's like, I, I can't, I mean, there's never been a time like this ever before. And even like the hardest of the hardcore, like let's say NBA fan, they, they could watch three games a week, but then there's an off season. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, with wrestling, it's not, there's, there's no off season unless one of the, one of the companies decides to move, to move a show or to, to retire a show or whatever, but have you thought, have you like thought about your plan, your game plan going forward here? Uh, no, I'm just going to take it week by week because I, I, I it's over. Now it's, it's completely different, right? I mean, I have two little ones. 
Um, one goes to bed at around 7.30. Other goes to bed around 8.30. And, you know, I don't watch wrestling with them. I mean, a little bit here and there, but, you know, I'm not going to watch a full show with them yet. And then in December, my baby girl's <laughs> baby girl number two is coming. So that is going to throw a lot of, you know, I'm just got to get creative and tough it out. Um, you know, I get tired earlier. I used to like make fun of my dad growing up. Like, God, I hope I don't get like nine o'clock and tired. You know, <laughs> like because mm-hmm. I, I could stay. You know, back when we were younger, I could stay up at three o'clock in the morning, go to work at six, no problem. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know. And so now I'm like getting like that. Now it's like, you know, I can hang till like 12 o'clock. Now I'm like, you know, 1030. <laughs> My eyes are getting heavy. So um, thank God for DVR. Thank God for the fast forward button. So um, definitely going to be my friend during watching these shows. And but I'm going to watch everything because I, I got to watch everything and I got to, you know, critique it. And yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm, it's week to week right now. I, I'm just, it's kind of overwhelming when I think about it. So, but I'm, I'm excited for Wednesday and I think I'll be so excited for next Wednesday that I won't be tired. I'll just be like, just wanting to watch everything and see what these guys have planned. All right, so let's talk about this NXT show. This is the last uh, NXT show, or the second and last NXT show, before the competition starts. So uh, NXT had Wednesday night all to itself from 8 o'clock to 9 on USA and then from 9 to 10 on the WWE Network. Uh, Very quickly, this NXT show to me felt like such a lame duck and it it, it kind of makes me wonder what was the what was the reason for getting the jump start anyway um because it, it almost it would almost feel cooler if they set up everything that they set up for this Wednesday to go head up first show versus first show we saw we, we saw two shows on on the USA channel these last two weeks the first one which I thought yeah, you know, they, they really made it feel special. And this one, it was like, oh, it's normal and not even a good NXT, uh, a, 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 a solid NXT, not a great NXT, I should say, with commercials. And it just felt like a lame duck. And it's like, OK, we're just going to sort of save everything we got except for Keith Lee and, and Dijakovic uh, for for next week. And I must say, like, OK, so why did you why did you have a two week lead for if this was your goal in week two, which was to kind of just put on a ho-hum show? Like, I thought the idea was to do two kick ass shows so that people get ready. And then, you know, then then the competition comes. But I thought the first hour of this NXT was just solid. Yeah. I th- so- yeah, I thought it was a good show. I, I I don't think it was lame duck. I would say it's just laying the groundwork for, you know next week you know setting up some matches okay but what happened nothing happened well it's 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 the, it's just nxt it's like they have a specific way they they, they want to run things simple they don't want to do anything over the top just yet but i'm sure that's coming soon but but last week there was an urgent feel to that show like because a lot of people when when i was talking to folks about last week's show they're like oh it's too fast like why are they going so fast like i can't breathe as a viewer and i'm like no i like it because it feels urgent it feels like you know you cannot change the channel because you're going to miss something or you cannot blink because you're going to miss something and i like that feeling and this week it was just the opposite it was like 
we're going to lull you to sleep and you're just going to stick with it because you watch wrestling and you're going to you're not going to change the channel cuz you watch wrestling and i mean it showed in the rating you know they went from what was it 1.17 to to 1.0 something they they were down 15% um but i just felt like man you know all the things that i liked about last week's show even though i i didn't really like Roddy versus uh Dream but everything I liked about last week's show, they didn't even do this week. And and the second hour, which I finally did get to watch, and I really liked, because I was like, man, Walter, Walter's got some presence, and and he just looks like like can't miss. And then it's just this tease for for the whole second hour that you know we're almost expecting Walter to come out, and he doesn't even come out until the very very end. So I just thought it was a weird show, considering. You know, if I'm a if I'm someone who really liked NXT and thought it was super different, it's like wow, this thing is actually moving. When I came back for week two, I was like, what happened to week one? Like, why did they change the whole way that they were doing things? I don't know. It's kind of weird. Hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was a good solid show. Um, I thought you know they it's kind of like the same form of the first show. They had like a, a a match. I mean, a lot of action in the first match. They had like a squash match in the second match, and they had a long main event match this is the first hour of course we're talking about so um yep um kind of that same formula they did some i like some of the stuff they did I like the street profits little promo video that's that was kind of that was really cool um the matches i would say is not as good as the first weeks all in all uh, especially that that you know i don't think anything i do i did like riddle and killian dana I, I really like that match i like both those guys a lot and I, okay you, you like that match but you like you you have a very logical sort of mind when it comes to this stuff Mm -hmm. why was this match a street fight because of last week (laughs) okay so if it's a street fight why was 85 percent of it smack dab in the middle of the ring that's not a big building i think they you know put it in visually in front of people i i thought you know they started to find i thought they went wild they didn't they didn't do anything crazy you know the big spot they just, they just just brawled and fought you know nothing nothing over the top is that we wanted something more over the top more bloody or just violent or well, well i mean when you tell me it's a street fight and then matt real comes out wearing no shoes <laughs> i know it's funny that's just his gimmick though you know kevin and eric is not gonna wear shoes out in the street fight either you know that he's he's this that's just him, but okay. uh, but uh, I thought I thought it was fine. It was a good match. It was fun. It was too long, and the chaos that they promised didn't really. I mean, there's a couple kendo st- ken, uh, kendo uh, stick shots, a couple chair shots. Uh, Riddle does his you know knee uh, knee into the chair into mm-hmm. the head. Fine, but like you know you have this you you end. Hour one, or sorry, hour two of the last show with just utter chaos. Mm-hmm. And so when you start this match, I'm expecting utter chaos again, and nothing happened. It was like, okay, Riddle, Riddle's going to win. He's going to get the shot. Great. But there was no chaos whatsoever that, you know, that there was a couple of those spots on the outside. But, you know, gosh, for a street fight, I expected, you know, I expected hell, and I got like, you know, whatever the PG version of hell is. <laughs> yeah, it was like a condensed street fight, but yeah, I thought it was good. I liked I liked their chemistry together. I like I think they're both really good and it's good to see Killian doing something of importance, you know, like 
he just seems he, like he, he's so different than a lot of people. And I really like once he came out for his entrance, I remember like thinking like, man, I miss dudes like this, mm-hmm. you know, that that look different. And one thing, that's the one thing I, 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 I get on AEW about, like, I hope they get guys that kind of look different, you know, like this. Like they don't have a monster like this kind of guy. So it was nice to see. Uh, Riddle winning it was just, there's no I mean, obviously for us there's no real drama because we you know we know what they're, they're you know Killian Dane and Adam Cole is not the much match they feel is going to capture viewers right we know it's going to be Riddle and yeah that's what a match I've been looking forward to Adam Cole and Matt Riddle too so they're definitely stacking up week three which we always which we already knew right that that was for sure going to happen and they have a lot of good matches planned and it's, it should be a good show and AEW has a lot of good matches planned too so it's going to be great. Okay, here's a question for you. As someone who understands how to lay out a show, mm-hmm. um, though, you know, TV is a little bit different than than a sort of a live show, but if you know that on the other side, AEW is coming with, um, you know, Cody and Sammy Guevara, and then the next match is, you know, maybe like a crazy Darby Allen match, can you put Dakota Kai versus Tainara on your live television show? Because that match was really bad. Yeah, that match wasn't good. Um, Dakota looked very nervous. She looked, uh, well, she was emotional, right? Coming back from injury. Yeah, yeah great, great, great story. But you have to tell that story because I don't think people understood why she was even there. Um. I just thought she was. She looked really nervous. Her offense was looking not that good. Tainara is green. Um, there was a weird moment in the corner when Tainara had a sell too long, and I'm not sure what exactly happened there. Um, I can't. I. I don't know if it was something else, not just with the talent, maybe something going on. Uh, but it was. Uh, it was a very interesting moment in that match. Um, yeah, but I think this is the week to do it, though. There's no competition. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, and then, you know, they're going to tell this longer story with Dakota chasing Shayna, who's the one that put her out of wrestling, which they, which they did talk about. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, look, I, I really, I liked Keith Lee and Dijakovic. Uh, they, I think it's a very WWE-ized version of what, they probably want to do, but I thought it was still really good and um, and a really good opener. And because w- once that opener, once once I saw that opener, I was like, okay, this is gonna be a great show. And I just <clears throat> didn't really feel that it was as good as that opener. But so going through the rest of the show, um, Rhea Ripley and Caden Carter, who is formerly Lacey Lane from uh, the May Young Classic, Ripley looks great. Caden Carter looks great too. She she looks she's very athletic, but you know this was a this is an opportunity to to get Ripley uh, some eyeballs on her. She looks like uh, she looks like the real deal. I, I just TV is going to be so good for her. Yeah, she is. She is the real deal. I've, I've been I've been championing that girl for a long time. When I saw her in the Million Classic, I just saw the potential in her, and I just love this evolution. And she is comes across as a badass and she works like a badass and she has great presence and she's doing great and she's so young it's it's like sky's the limit for her and then uh oni lorkin and jenny birch versus ever rise this match just because we've been watching 93 raw this match reminded me of when barry horowitz 
and Reno Riggins were in the tag team. Who did they face? Was it Money Inc. or Maybe who did they face in that match? Guns or something. Smoke, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like the uh, the non-star team hmm. actually having a competitive match with the star team, and it was good. But it was you're just kind of wondering, okay, when's the non-star team going to lose here? Uh, that's kind of, that's what this reminded me of, like kind of like an old school. Uh, old school match, uh, you know, between a, a a team that is being pushed and a team that is solid but not being pushed. Yeah, exactly. It's what it is. It's just establishing, you know, Oni and Danny Birch continue to establish them, and you know, continue to establish different teams in the uh, tag team division, which you know, uh, NXT has a lot of them. They're really good. So, and then uh, Cameron Grimes and Raul Mendoza. I I, I thought Mendoza brought because at this point. I was kind of bored for, you know, whatever it was for that that hour. You liked Riddle and Dane a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just kind of, okay, this this show is just ho-hum, ho-hum. And then Mendoza came out like a house on fire. And, you know, Grimes slowed him down and arm bars here and there. But uh, it's pretty good match. But I, I came out of that going like, you know what? Raul Mendoza was really fun to watch and... I wonder. They, I mean, I don't. I don't know what their plans are for him, but uh, Cameron Grimes is the guy that that they actually want you to to pay attention to. Um, but I was actually came out m- not more impressed, but very impressed with uh, Raul Mendoza. Yeah, Raul's great. Um, he's a really good worker. Um, he probably. I don't know if he's ever gonna get a big push in NXT, but I think he's like you know he's the good hand. He's the guy that's reliable in there is going to go out and have a good match with, with anyone and he's kind of like that you probably don't even know remember who this guy is but uh raul uh, raul mata actually from florida mm, like mm-hmm. just a good solid guy that was probably too small to ever get a push and whatnot but so but like so he's, it's kind of funny when it you know that's what raul mendez reminds me of like that that him and and I, I, you know, but it's good to have those kind of guys in the card. You have to have those guys that are going to go out there. You can put them out there. The fans are going to respect him because they know he's good. Um, he's going to win some. He's going to lose most. And yeah, I thought they had a really good match. It's uh, and they get, had that that springboard side headlock. Oh my god, mm-hmm. that was freaking mm-hmm. awesome. And then the main event was Kushida and his two mystery partners mm-hmm. against Imperium, and so. They mention Imperium, and then when they announce Imperium, it is Alexander Wolf, Marcel Barthel, and Fabian Eichner. And I was like, I want to see Walter. Like, Walter was so awesome yeah. last week. And so, you know, you sit through this match. Kushida's tag team partners are Breezango, whoop de doo um, and you know, you get to see a little bit of Kushida at the end of the match, and then you get to see a little bit of Walter at the end of the show. And not that I felt like it was uh, a bait and switch because they didn't actually say Walter's name, but I'm pretty sure that most people thought, like me, that Walter was going to somehow be involved in this. And then when he wasn't, I was pretty disappointed, even though you know seeing kushida on wwe tv is kind of cool but um i don't know it's just kind of like when i saw brizango and i didn't see walter it was like oh like i was looking forward to something that i didn't actually get well in hour one they had the graphic of who's gonna be in the match other than the mystery partners yeah i guess i guess i guess i overlooked that part thinking okay like walter's coming out with them or he's gonna be involved somehow or whatever yeah and i just knew that they're not gonna give you walter kushida now 
Um, they, I thought that was well done what they did with Imperium there. Like you save that moment for to build to that big match that's going to happen um, next week. It should happen next week, right? Just to add another great match on that card. Um, but yeah, I thought they, I thought it was fine. I thought the angle was great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that match. Kushida and Walter should be should be really really damn good. So how do you how do you actually book that though? How do, how do you make um you know they keep saying Kushida's undefeated. Obviously Walter is a beast and he's the uh, the UK champ. Like, you know, I I mean how if 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 all of a sudden pro wrestling and the in-ring is is super important because you know AEW is going to deliver on that end. So putting those guys together is an interesting uh, chemistry mix, but you also have to think about the finish. Like, how would you book the finish of something like that? Just Walter over clean. Yeah, just, you know, I just, just, I don't just, I don't, I don't need to think twice about that one. Um, you know, Kushida's gonna have a people respect Kushida. Kushida losing is not gonna hurt him. He's gonna have a great match. In the end, you're gonna respect him even more. He's gonna put on a great match. So you remember, it's gonna be a great match, and Walter is gonna just look like the superstar that he is. And a dominant champion, which you want him to be, and you got to keep Imperium strong because there's money, I think, in Imperium versus Undisputed Era, you mm-hmm. know, later this year. All right, so how? Like, I, I'm very interested in what stories they're going to tell because in week one and week two of NXT, I think the mentality was. Well, you know, these people are are folks who kind of watch the product on the WWE Network. So we're not going to introduce these characters. We're not going to give tons of backstory. You know, we're just going to kind of pretend like you know the storylines going in. And what I wonder is... That's an. I mean, that's an interesting idea because we just t- we just mentioned that these first two shows did not go head-to-head against AEW. But what I wonder is if you if they should have done more of that in these first two weeks, knowing that, you know, they didn't have the competition or did they think that if they did that, they wouldn't get the ratings that they did out of the gate and they would actually go into week three lower. And that was the reason why I think they want to give just action first. They want to give people that are maybe that are going to give it a shot to stop giving re- wrestling shot. Cause it's too talky and too, you know, long promos in the beginning, so I think they wanted to give him action, 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 and 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 that's what I think. I, I think eventually you know, all that, all the personality profile, all that stuff's going to happen. You know, they had an hour, you know, and, and you know, hour's not a long time to do those, right? So I think with the two-hour show, you'll see a little bit more of that. You'll see a little more vignettes and introducing new characters. Uh, they'll have more videos for, you know, talking about storyline histories between these people, and they'll have some surprises, maybe, and they'll have some good matches. We'll give about two hours. They'll definitely give a lot of these matches a lot of time. So basically, what we're basically getting next week for NXT is a takeover. Yep. Uh, for you know, free, I guess, free takeover and uh, takeover with commercials, which is you know that's just the nature of the beast. You know that's this. You know we're doing television, folks. There's what do you think? Of, what do you think about it? You know we're we're watching matches and and with raw and smackdown wwe has trained you as a fan mm-hmm. to kind of understand that you know the match is not going to really get hot until after the commercial and and 
But here, the mentality seems to be a little bit different because the wrestling is going to be stronger. It's a little bit more of a work rate promotion. I feel like the commercials hurt them way more on NXT and and will do so on AEW as well. Just because we're watching the match and we're trying to sort of watch it from beginning to end, whereas on Raw and SmackDown, we know a little bit better than to really care about the beginning of the match because we know that... If unless it's a squash, it's going to go through a commercial break, and the only thing we were really, really going to care about is the last two or three minutes of it. Well, we should always care about the whole match because <laughs> the first for first part sets up the last part. Um, yeah, but but they don't they don't build matches that way on Raw. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the the pattern is the same in every match on Raw before a commercial and after a commercial. You don't think the first you don't think of the ma- on a Raw or SmackDown that the uh, the beginning of the match that goes into com- the beginning of the match that goes into commercial breaks not building towards the end? No, not at all. I don't think it, I don't think it matters. I don't know. I just watched this great match on on SmackDown with Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan that told a great story that was freaking phenomenal. And I thought I was into that match from beginning to the end. And uh, I know they had the in, you know, the insert of the the action, but uh, you know, same thing with Raw. Raw had a good, really good show, a lot of good matches and some commercial breaks. I mean, I'm I'm used to watching wrestling on TV commercial breaks. It never really hurt to me a great match. Yeah, it sucks to go to commercial breaks, but I understand they got to pay the bills, right? It's just the nature of the beast. Okay, but okay, let's let's say, and, and I'll use AJ and Cedric from what was that two weeks ago. The match is like eight minutes long. Mm-hmm. You get two minutes. Then you go to commercial. You get a three and a half minute commercial. And then you come back for two more minutes. What could they have possibly done in the first two minutes to set up the finish? Well, there could have been the the, 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 the cutoff spot going into the heat. And then there's heat. And then they go into commercial break. And then AJ's on top. Cedric makes his comeback. Boom, boom, boom. He gets caught. One, you know, AJ catches him with the uh, Styles Clash. One, two, three, finish. Like, you know, usually you go, you, they want to go in. They want to they go with action out of commercial, into commercial breaks. And they want to come back with action coming out of commercial breaks. You'll notice that. That's what WWE does. Um, they don't want to be sit still in a, in a, in a hold unless, you know, unless the guys like Timmy Thatcher, that's a whole different story, but they do want action coming out of commercial breaks and going into commercial breaks too. watch that next time. You'll see. No, I mean, I, no, I understand what the idea is. What I'm saying is, is every single match going into commercial is the same so well this week's limited commercial breaks well exactly exactly no no that but that but that but that's i mean but that's going to be a good thing but what i'm saying is is that wwe on raw and smackdown they pattern the matches so much that if you've been if you watch every week you don't you know not to get invested into the match because it's not going to matter until the last, until, you know, they come back from the commercial and then you can kind of start paying attention. But what I'm saying is in, in NXT, we mostly watch the product mm-hmm. through either the network or through, or, well, through the network, but either on the network, the weekly show or through TakeOver. And the and the way that we watch matches on NXT is much different than we watch them on Raw and SmackDown because there's not a four minute commercial smack dab in the middle and so that's going to be an adjustment for me because I, I'm watching this show going like, okay, like 
two commercials break up Riddle and, and Dane. And then I'm kind of like, okay, now, you know, I, I was invested and now I'm not invested. And then I got to get invested again. At least with Raw and SmackDown, they sort of train us to not even care about what happens in the beginning because all that matters is once they come back from the commercial. So that I think that's a different, that that's going to be different to watch this show. And I'm interested in how AEW does that as well. Yeah, they're going to go to commercial break. <laughs> they're going to have the same, basically the same formula, I think. You know, I think they're going to go into the commercial break with the action and come out with action. So, you know, I just, you know, they for producing wrestling, TV wrestling, right? They they should do that. I think it's more interesting that way. Um, I that's what I, I see AEW going to be doing the same thing because you know, don't you think? What's the main event this show? It's the, it's the tag match, right? The six man tag. Yep. I'm guessing there'll be two commercial breaks in that match. There's got to be if it's going to be you know twenty minutes or mm-hmm. the last twenty minutes of the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's so they're gonna, so they'll 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 do some big spot. They'll spill it to the outside. We'll be right back. Come back. They're running around doing stuff. Um, you know, same thing with Pac and Paige. They're gonna go. They're gonna have a commercial break during that match. You know, so the, the commercial breaks are just gonna affect both shows. You know, but to me, it's not gonna hurt anything when it comes to the matches. Yeah, sure. I want to watch the match from bell to bell, but I, what what okay. Just so you, just just so you understand, what's they're not going to do anything that's major during a commercial break. They they won't do that. They well, they know when they're at commercial break, they're not going to do anything major or of importance to like you know like a cutoff or something like that. It's not going to happen during a commercial break. It's going to happen on television. So mm-hmm. you're seeing the most important parts of the matches. Commercial break. That's when. You know, they there's a little more playing with the referee. There's some more heat. You know, stuff like that. Yes, no, I, I I completely get it. But it's just with these two programs, we are not used to watching through a commercial. And I think when I watch NXT, I'm less interested in the match with the commercial breaks mm-hmm. than I was w- without them. And, and I think that's sort of natural. But you know, for work rate programs. Because we're on SmackDown, they don't put the main events, you know, they put the main events on the pay-per-view. They don't put the main events on a, an actual TV show. So that it's going to be, you know, you, you're not looking for that f- mm-hmm. four-star match on Raw. You, maybe you'll get it. You, you may get it one, you know, a, 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 a few times, you know, every, every few months. But on NXT and AEW, the impetus as a viewer is like, you know, like you said, we're going to get great wrestling. Like, that's kind of what you're looking forward to rather than the overall show that you get with Raw and SmackDown, the spectacle, the 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 segments, the 24-7 stuff. Like, these shows are a little bit different. And I think the commercial breaks will be interesting because mm-hmm. the wrestling, the actual in-ring is, is what you're interested in. Though, you know, when, when WWE was at its strongest in-ring those few years, you know, SmackDown years, they had commercials too and, and, and the matches – you know, as long as you had your 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 TiVo and you could fast forward quickly through the commercials, they, they didn't really bother you that much. And um, you know, like both both AEW and NXT are gonna go through growing pains of doing live television now, right? I mean, I saw it the last night with some production issues that are very, unless you're like looking for them or you just notice them because you just you know, there's definitely some mistimed stuff of commercial breaks and whatnot in my eyes that's why i saw i'm pretty sure and 
And there was, you know, I think AEW doesn't have the same thing, but though they, I think they have some really good producers that experience, you know, like guys like Dean Malenko or Anderson produced TV for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And, and, but then again, a lot of these guys that, you know, in both, in both companies haven't really worked live TV yet. Right. They're not used to the commercial break stuff. They're great at live events and, and all that, and like you said, like the takeovers and shows with that no commercial breaks. But now it's going to be mm-hmm. everyone has to be on point. The referee has to make sure sh- the producer has to make sure he gets the right times. The referee has to has to you know tra- you know get that message to the wrestlers and to hit that mark, or it's going to look kind of funky. Okay, so let's actually look at what next week's schedule is, and then yeah. uh, and, and and then we'll, we'll we'll finish that, and then we'll we'll cut to the interview that I did with Robert Silva, but. Um, so let's start with let's start with Monday. Monday is Raw. They call they're calling it the season premiere, <laughs> and you have Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio in the main event, which is the go home Raw for the pay per view. Uh, pay per view being on Sunday. Um, what I'm interested in it now. Now one thing that's been a, a benefit for Raw so far uh, uh, once football season started is. The NFL Monday Night Football schedule has been fairly weak so far. They, they, you know, Monday Night Football doesn't get the top echelon games anymore. You know, that's Sunday Night Football. Um, so they're getting you know, whatever second or third rate games. They're getting two teams that are zero and three. <laughs> right. It's it's Bengals and the Steelers. Mm-hmm. So. They they they've kind of lucked out because I think if they had some better games, you know, we might we might be seeing lower ratings. But you know, WWE's gonna put a loaded show. They got Hogan and Flair on on Raw as well. But what I wonder is is with the Wednesday night show and then all the promotion on this Friday night show, Raw's the staple. But I wonder if people are going to continue seeing it as the staple, as the A show, as the, like you said, you know, we were so used to watching wrestling on Monday. Monday was always wrestling night. I wonder if they cut into their own ratings on Raw just because of having to push SmackDown on Friday and now having to push this NXT show, this Wednesday Night War. I wonder if Raw suffers because of that. I think Raw's going to move to the, to the, quote-unquote B-show, because, you know, the focus has to be on delivering those ratings on Fox, right? A lot of money was spent to get that show that needs to produce, and, you know, they're they're loading it up this first week, which we expected as well, and... Yeah, that's gonna be their focus to keep to keep that because that's if that fails, you know they're they're good for a while, but you know you want to keep this thing going. Uh, did you hear anything about Raw at the Chase Center? I watched the show. Did you hear anything about how many people were there? No, no, I didn't. I didn't get the attendance, but I did see empty seats. I see. I did see the top deck blocked out. Um, so I know they didn't really sell that well. I mean, tickets right here was just outrageous. Well, and but the, I think they they had to drop prices, but um. My buddy Miles went, and he said he thought about six. Hmm. And then for Tuesday, when I was talking to Big Dave, when he he was talking tickets, he th- he said that he had heard maybe they had barely sold like three thousand tickets for SmackDown. Wow! Yeah, yeah, it did not look. I mean, it did not look. Obviously, I saw a lot of empty seats. 
Um, you know, WWE is really good at, you know, blocking that out. But yeah, I mean, if you you're really look for it, you could see, you know, it was just, it wasn't just, you know, a bunch of people in the seats. It was definitely here and there and there's a lot, you know, some patches there. So it was, yeah, yeah. It, but I heard that, yeah, I heard those tickets are outrageous. And I know they dropped them, but you know how many people go back and look for tickets after they get the bad taste in their mouth and they see it's too expensive, right? I mean, yeah, I thought, I think, I think. Was ringside seven hundred or something like that? Something ridiculous, really. Yeah. I mean, we're not Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle. We can't afford <laughs> those tickets. Then again, they didn't—they didn't pay for those tickets either. Oh my God! Yeah, that was that—that that was actually kind of fun. It was cool. That was cool. I didn't know it was cool. I was—I I watched, I watched like the first half of SmackDown. Ended up like just kind of fast forward in the second half, and I did watch the last like, the, the last angle with Shane and Kevin Owens. But like early on, you could just see. Jimmy G and Kittle just having a great time. Like, I already knew about Kittle, right? We already knew Kittle's just a huge wrestling fan. But Jimmy G's just having a ball, man. And it mm-hmm. was kind of cool, too, because they were, they were taking taking their time talking to fans at ringside, taking pictures. So that was really cool to see. They weren't being uh, Ds out there, you know? They were, yeah. Yeah, they were yeah, enjoying yeah. themselves. All right, so Tuesday, which was formerly SmackDown night, is uh, no wrestling night. I... I, I is it is uh is impact moving to tuesday yeah. something's moving to tuesday yeah. impacts on i think october 29th my birthday <laughs> okay so but i won't so, be watching impact that night so in, in a month that they'll they'll have the tuesday night which good for them like maybe they can build something you know there's I, I they they're definitely you know sort of like fourth or fifth priority hmm. but um but you know hey they'll have the night to themselves uh, and then Wednesday, we have AEW's debut, Cody and Sammy Guevara, Adam Page and, uh, and Pac. I can't – it's so hard for me to say Pac instead of Pac. Yeah, I, I can't either. Um, and then uh, we talked about the, the main event being Chris Jericho and two mystery partners against Kenny and the Bucks. And, you know, that's – those are uh, – not, I wouldn't say they're they're all in or all out or double or nothing uh, matches, but you know they are they, they they would be good enough for whatever their their uh, Bleacher Report live shows are. So th- those matches are are really solid. And then WWE with NXT, they have uh, Shayna against Candice LeRae. They have the Street Profits uh, trying to win the tag titles from Fish and O'Reilly. And they have Riddle and Cole, like we said. They haven't said anything about uh, whether or not Roddy's defending his belt. But um, two really, really good shows. And and Gargano's uh, back on the show. Is he going to be on it? Yeah, he's working uh, Shane Haste. So they'll have, okay. a, they'll have a good match. So prediction on audience for those shows head-to-head. Hmm. I think... AEW, I'm leaning towards they're going to win this week mm-hmm. because just the newness mm-hmm. and people want to check out what they got. <sighs> I'm going to say they might do it over a million. And I think NXT will dip down in like 875. Mm-hmm. And I think things will, you know, then, then the real range we're looking for is, is in, you know, three to four weeks later, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, that, I think that's going to happen i would like to see both at a million that'd be awesome um i do think that i do think people will check out AEW first just because of the curiosity and and 
and it's their their chance to gather those fans and make sure they watch them first and DVR or watch NXT on you know the network after that. So okay, so uh, I, I our predictions are going to be very close. I'm thinking one million, maybe one point one million for AEW and 800,000 for NXT. Mm-hmm. And the number that I'm actually looking at is that combined audience. I want to see if that combined audience is going to be more than what Rot watches Raw on Monday night because now I, I think this is what it would mean, which is if it is a combined audience of more than the 2.2 million that Raw is getting or the 2.1 million then the audiences are probably a little bit more different than I thought. And I think that's going to be interesting. Can you get more than 2 million people to watch wrestling three nights a week? Because Fox, on Fox, they're going to get more than 2 million people, right? You know, for for several, several weeks. It may go down at some point. But if you can get 2 million wrestling fans watching Raw on Monday and then splitting AEW and NXT on Wednesday – and then watching SmackDown on Friday, like that's crazy to me. I mean, it you know people were watching combined that much on Mondays back when we were talking about you know the Monday Night War, but uh, that <laughs> that would that would be that that that's actually pretty crazy to me that that you know that that many people are going to keep up with all those three those three nights. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a good chunk of AEW fans that are just like anti WWE and they don't watch it, so we'll, we'll see. Okay, and then Thursday night, there is nothing, though the Beyond Wrestling fans would raise their hand and go, no, Beyond Wrestling is running their streaming show. And it's like, okay, okay like, cool. I get it. You know, good for Beyond Wrestling to, you know, to go, hey, guys, you know, we, we are still here. I, I'm not condemning them in any way, but, you know, that, that will be a night for people to kind of take a break. It's like that the, someone had a graphic of all the wrestling that's going to be on, like, every each day. And someone had like MLW on BN Sports. It just looked like like it was like so small and tiny. It just looked like and and, and like like on like if you watch like the old posters of wrestling shows and others. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. MLW is the and others, unfortunately. I mean, they have a lot of good guys, but let's let's be honest. Yeah, they got their work cut out for them for sure. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> okay, and then obviously Friday you have SmackDown. Here's what they're promoting: uh, Brock and Kofi. Uh, Shane and Kevin Owens in a ladder match. Uh, The four horsewomen explode again. And they're bringing back all the old vets. Austin's going to be there. I think Hogan and Flair are going to be there after being on Raw on Monday. No word on The Rock, though. uh, You have to imagine that he would do everything. He's popping in. Do everything that it takes for him to be there. And, And like I told Big Dave last night on Wrestling Observer Radio... He likes to do these surprise things where he's the one who breaks the news via his social media. So that's pro- if, if he shows up, I, I would imagine that's going to happen. Plus, he's got a movie to promote uh, the uh, the Jumanji uh, second movie or whatever that's coming out around Christmas time. So I think he's going to show up too, uh, and that that'll be fun. I think. How does he show up? What do you think he does? Um, I think he does the uh, beginning the beginning promo of the whole show. Yeah, I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Rowan's out there doing a promo with Luke Harper and out comes Rock to spoil the party, you know? 
beat again. He already beat this poor man at WrestleMania 32 in like five seconds. <laughs> to be, you know, just be Rock, you know, just taking the spotlight, and then, you know, there's some physical physical stuff between those guys but then i think roman comes out i think you gotta do something kind of with roman and and rock you know to kind of that would be that would be awesome i think the you f- got to use these guys to, to help like oh so do you think uh becky lynch is putting rick flair in a disarmor anytime soon or all this stuff? <laughs> oh my I, I, I see flair's back and i'm like okay they must have cleared up whatever issues they had well so i mentioned this uh on wrestling observer radio but on NXT, on the network version, the second hour, they show that video game commercial, right? And it's uh, and and it's uh, Hogan. I love this commercial. Austin, Sting, Bret Hart, Bret, and Sean. And the idea is, is they all think that they were the man, and now Becky's the man, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Where's Flair? Like, he's, he's like, how yeah, come he's not yeah. out there? But it's for this reason, because, you know, they're not getting along about about that that phrase of, you know, the man. And WWE doesn't want Flair to use that anymore, which is pretty ridiculous to me. But, uh, but yeah, like, so Flair's back on, on TV. And, uh, yeah, that was so. But uh, Becky and Charlotte are on the same team though, right? So it'd kind of be weird if she puts Rick I don't think in the... they're going to do anything to embarrass Rick. No one gets over by embarrassing Rick, you know. So not the stage of the game, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just told Dave, I just hope the Fiend doesn't attack Rick or uh, Hogan. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I I honestly I think the Fiend's coming out at the end of that uh, Ray Mysterio. The Ray match. Yeah, that makes more sense. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, and not only that, you know, we just announced the Friday SmackDown, and that's kind of a must-see show. Like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing that night, but I'm definitely recording that show, and I, I'm, I'm going to watch it. It feels special. Whether or not I will stick with it, I will probably at least stick with it through the draft, because they, they're going to start the draft the following week, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how they do this sports draft, uh, and, and, and then we'll see after that, but... So then Saturday of that week is a big UFC show uh, with uh, Robert Whitaker and uh, Adesanya, which is, you know, at the, for, for today's UFC, which is a, a pretty big fight. And then on Sunday, it's the WWE pay-per-view. So it's like, oh, my God, like you could you could literally if you were a fan of WWE, UFC and AEW, you're watching at least a bare minimum of two hours. No, of yeah, yeah, because SmackDown's two hours of two hours every day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. Like how how are people not going to just get? So you know, some people are going to skim me like f this. I can't watch all of it, so I'm not going to watch any of it. I think yeah, that that's kind of the minority. But I think a lot of people are going to pick and choose, and and maybe that's what AEW is is. You know they're they're trying to fill this uh, this wrestling fan who maybe is kind of tired of that WWE program, but we'll see. We'll, we'll those those numbers should show what their target is. And uh, I mean the whole thing is fascinating to me. I'm not going to watch all of it. I'm more than likely going to skip pretty much Raw every Monday. I may catch bits and pieces of it here and there, but I think that's going to be the one I skip. And then you know. Based on what show is better between AEW and NXT, I'm going to pick one and watch it live with Big Dave. 
my guess is that he'll want to watch AEW live, at least for the most part, unless it's just not good. Um, and then, you know, and then Friday I'll try to watch SmackDown, you know, as, as up to speed as possible. But um, have you, I mean, you, you, you just said right now, you don't know, but can you fathom how much of this you're going to be able to watch versus how much you want to watch? Uh, it's going to be tough. I just, I, you know, it's funny, like, like you, I probably skip Raw, but then again, I watched Raw this last, this past Monday, and it was actually really good. Like the whole show was. But I feel solid. like you're, I feel like you're grading on a curve though with that show. What do you mean? Because you and I know what a really good Monday Night Raw show is because we watched them in the year 2000, and in the year, you know. The other years as well, where those shows were really good. There's 1998 Raws that were really good. I feel like these shows, if they're just above the expectation, people like them, which is great. But that is also grading on a curve. I mean, I don't, I don't grade like that. I don't grade re- comparing to the past. Um, like you know, like you know, if if if, <laughs> if I graded on the past, then everything would be disappointing me. <laughs> Like, you know, like, I, you know, like nothing compared to Ric Flair world title matches growing uh-huh. up. You know, I, you know, I just, I just, just grade on what I see of that on that moment of that night. And like, I decided to tune into Raw. There's nothing I really wanted to watch. I put it on and I saw a good, solid opening tag match. I saw a, a solid, really good women's match. Um, I saw another good Corbin Gable match. And like it was good, solid wrestling, and I had a really good. And Rollins and uh, Strowman had another good match, mm-hmm. and I you know I skipped here and there. I skipped like Lacey Evans versus Natalia. Not that I, you know, I really liked Natalia. It just it was like I just knew it wasn't of anything of super importance. That I really need to watch. And there's yeah. a couple things like that, but for the most part, I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty good. And I was gonna take a break on Tuesday. I was like, all right, I'm not gonna watch SmackDown, but then my buddy. Jeremy Finestone, it's like, hey, SmackDown's pretty good. And the first hour is pretty entertaining. I'm like, right. I'm like, I'll check it out. Then they had this really great match with Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan that was I was really into big time. And the finish was crazy. Um, I really liked this program. I know we've been joking around on the on the uh, fight game a Facebook page about you know this could be the Sting Flair versus <laughs> Pillman Arn Anderson for Holland Havoc ninety five where it's all a ruse and Flair turns on Sting and you know um, and the same thing with you know I was we, we talked about this before like we thought it was like oh we call it the Ole Anderson Dusty Rhodes thing right yeah yep but um I can see that happening which is but I kind of like I'm kind of digging this program it's it's pretty entertaining and everyone's really working hard and. Nice to see Harper back in the ring, and and Rowan's been stepping up big time. And his promos are good, and his ring work's been good. I think he's always been kind of underrated. People don't really realize how good that guy is as a big man. So he's getting opportunity to shine, and and I think he's he's doing really well. Okay, so before we talk about uh, the uh, Monday Night Raw, actually we'll we'll, we'll throw to to Robert's the interview that I did with Robert in a second here. But I wanted to give you like a minute to talk about Carl Frederick. All right, yeah. I mean, gosh, that was awesome that he won the Young Lions Cup. Carl is a great kid, a future superstar. Um, 
just a really respectful, humble kid, but he has a really cocky, arrogant presence about him. Not that he is cocky and arrogant. Maybe he is, but, like, he's a winner. Like, he wants to be – he just wants to be the best. Like, he, he – you know, just being on the show is not – not for him. He wants to be the main event guy. And that's what I always liked about him when I worked with him at APW and was booking him and talking to him. And he just had focus. And, you know, he wasn't just there on the week. He wasn't a weekend warrior, which I, you know, I had nothing against weekend warriors. They have their purpose on the indie shows. Actually, I think they should be left on other indie shows. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, you know, every once in a while you need to use their local talent. And, but like, I my focus is always been on guys that just don't want to be on the indies. They want to be in the big time. And mm-hmm. Carl, you know, he you know did try out in New Japan, got got picked up by them. You know, sacrificing hard in that dojo, and look at him now. He's like, you know, he won the Young Lions Cup, and I mean, he has so much personality. Like he, you know, he brings so much into those Young Lions matches where they're just doing the basic holds. That's what they do. They do the, you know, they're doing the Boston Crabs, the body slams, the stuff like that. They don't do anything big, but like everything he does, he makes those moves bigger than they, you know, than they, than they are really. Like he adds a little extra something. Um, he's going to be a world champion. He's going to be, um, you know, headlining a WrestleMania mm-hmm. in the, the you know the near future he's going to be a bidding war will be for his service he's going to make a lot of money in this business if he stays injury free and keeps his head on his shoulders and he's 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 that guy man he came from a lot and and he's a and he wants to succeed and prove everyone wrong and, and he just looks like a million bucks and he's going to make a million bucks so i mean i'm so happy for that guy and then he's and and i can't wait to see what's next for him and and uh he's in a great position and a great company to be in for starting his career out Okay, let's throw to the interview that I did with Robert Silva. We talked about his lightweight list, and he tells us uh, who's going to be his, his what weight class can be on his next list. And then we talk about the big fight this weekend, Errol Spence and Sean Porter, which I will be going to with our buddy Danny Acosta. We're going to be going to Oak Ridge, uh, Oak Ridge Mall, and and, and buy buy the tickets to to watch it in the movie theaters. I'll be across the street at a party. <laughs> yeah, you you might have we have to sneak you in if you finish. Um, I know I saw the date. I'm like, yeah, we can go see the date. Ah, oh, <laughs> but it's gonna be a fun night for me, and it'll be a fun night for you guys too. I know we've been planning this for a while to get together to watch a big boxing match. We will, I promise. All right, so let's throw there, and we will be back with our review of Monday Night Raw. Uh, what are we at? September 27th, 1993. <laughs> Now we're bringing on Robert Silva, the great Robert Silva, who has been writing uh, about the greatest lightweights in boxing. He just published his number one spot, which is Roberto Duran. Robert, what's going on? Hey, what's up, uh, uh, Double G? Yeah, it's funny. In the history of boxing, the most talented divisions have been the welterweight division, which I did on your website, followed by the middleweight division. The lightweight division, while historically, in the in, if you total up all the champions throughout the, history, the over 100 year history of all three divisions, the welterweights and the middleweights blow away the lightweights. But the top five, especially the top four, are on par, are on par with the welterweight and middleweight division. I mean, the, the, the top four that uh, Benny Leonard, Joe Gans, Pernell Whitaker, and Roberto Duran, all four of these fighters 
you can make an argument that they're among the top 10 greatest fighters of all time. All right, let's let's go through the the list a little bit because I think unless you are a boxing historian, you may not know some of these guys. Now you have Carlos Ortiz at 5, Benny Leonard at 4, mm-hmm. and the old master Joe Gans at 3. And reading uh, the Leonard and, and and Gans, you know, from a historical perspective, like I had no I I had no um a knowledge of, of either guy and, and those pieces were were really really good. Like, like, how do you know about these guys? I mean, you're you're not much older than me, but what, you have a history. No, you have no, a history. No. What, you have a knowledge about I, about history. I was taught how to read by my father by him giving me Ring Magazine, a World Boxing, uh, KO Boxing. Well, the KO Boxing didn't exist at the time. It was World Boxing and Ring Magazine were the two biggest boxing magazines when I was a kid. So my father taught me how to read when I was three, four, and five, by reading those boxing magazines and the Daily News, the New York Daily News and New York Post, the sports section. Now, politically, I have problems with the Daily News and the Post throughout the history, but one thing that they've always had were great sports pages and great writers, writers like Dick Young, Mike Lupica, these are uh, Pete Vesey, legendary sport, sports writers, in uh, Phil Mushnick, anybody who's a wrestling fan knows about him. These are legendary sports writers. And I learned to read by reading those papers. And my, in those boxing magazines would always talk about, especially Ring Magazine, would always talk about the great fighters of, of, of yesteryear. And one of them was Benny Leonard. And it's funny, Benny Leonard is my fourth greatest lightweight of all time. At the end of his career, he was trained by who? Ray Arcel, who became Durant's trainer when Durant moved to the when, when Durant first came to New York in 1971. And uh, Ray Arcel, Ray Arcel used to always say that the two greatest fighters he ever saw were Benny Leonard and Roberto Durant. No, and 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 look, the, the, these these pieces were were awesome. Mostly, be, I mean, in due in part because I learned so much, but. I mean, we're talking about Joe Gans, who's born in 1874. Like, where do you learn about Joe Gans? Well, I've always, I've, I've always, I've always uh, been a, a, a fan of, of of Joe Gans. And when when we when when I started writing this, I said, if you look at him, he was the Jackie Robinson of boxing. This is a man that faced enormous poverty, enormous racism. Nobody would give him a shot at the title. He basically had to um, finesse his way to get a shot at the title. And then when he got the shot at the title, they did everything they could to try to take take it away from him. He was, before Jack Johnson, he was a world champion. Jack Johnson didn't become heavyweight champion of the world until 1908. Joe Gans was world lightweight champion a few years before him. He was the first major African-American sports star that was not a jockey in the United States. Uh, people don't realize that the first 20 to 25 Kentucky Derby uh, winning, winning jockeys were African-American because when, when, when slavery ended, who were taking care of the, the, the horses? It, it was, it was, the, uh, it was the, the slaves. And when, they be, when, when slavery was over, they went and got jobs to train the horses for the rich millionaires, especially in Kentucky, and the jockeys. They, they maintain them as jockeys. And then uh, somewhere early in the 20th century, in the early 1900s, it went from being black jockeys to Latin jockeys to Hispanic jockeys. 
Now, the piece on GANs, I mean, just the politics involved in this whole thing, like, it, you know, people think that, you know, boxing is is uh, is crooked a little bit at times. And, and, and you know, that, that that's an opinion that I think some have. But, man, like reading back through what Joe had to deal with, uh, you know, talk about, you know, manipulation and, you know, really setting up somebody uh, to, to not, you know, not in the greatest light. And, and, you know, Joe's, you know, then having to deal with tuberculosis at the end of his career. Gosh, what, what a time frame! What, what, you know, what, what a story there. And what, what's amazing is that he probably fought with tuberculosis. He probably started developing tuberculosis in his late twenties and he was still beating and the, probably the best fighter in the world while his body was being ravaged by tuberculosis. When he defeated Battler Nelson, now his fight with Battler Nelson, that's the first super fight in the history of boxing. Sex Rickard, one of the first major promoter in the United States, promoted this fight. He was the same guy that promoted the, the Jack Johnson, Jim Jeffries fight, July 4th, 1910, where they tried to uh, bring the Great White Hope to take away the title from Jack Johnson. Uh, he, also, he also promoted the, his, uh, Jack Johnson's loss to Jess Willard, and Jess Willard's subsequent loss to Jack Dempsey. Tex Frickin was the Don King slash Bob Arum of the early 20th century. When Gans, um, Tex Frickin was also a noted racist, and he was compliant in trying to, to do everything he could for Battling Nelson to defeat Joe Gans. Joe Gans was a superior fighter than Battling Nelson. Battling Nelson was this uh, who would you compare him to? Sort of like a Mar Marcos Madonna type fighter, brawler, who could take a punch, but he had he was a dirty fighter in the ring. And that plus Joe Gans having to be forced to weigh in something like three or four times a day to fight. Now, back then, uh, Double G, the, the weigh-in was the day of the fight. Wow. So if you had to lose weight, you had to lose up until the late 80s. I believe it might have been early nineties, but the the weigh-in was always the day of the fight, and so he made he made he made he made the weight. But then an hour later, they called. Oh, we, we need to re, we need to reweigh you again. We're not sure if we had it right the first oh, time. Oh man, Battler Nelson only had to weigh in one time. Wow, Jesus! Yeah, um, and then during the fight, during the fight, Nelson. Do every dirt, and this fight went forty something rounds. This fight back then they fought. To, they fought to the end. They fought to the end. It wasn't um like a like a schedule fifteen or a schedule twenty round fight. Title fights would often go into whoever could not continue. Finally, Nelson hit him with a with a with an incredible blatant low blow, and the referee. I give the referee credit, as I mentioned in your article. This is a 99% white audience who was heavily rooted for Nelson when the fight started. But by the midway point, because Nelson was acting the way he did, the fans began to root for Gans. That's how great of a sportsman Joe Gans was. Joe Gans was doing everything with skill while, while Nelson was trying to beat him with every dirty trick in the book. So when the referee disqualified Nelson, the fans in the audience started booing Nelson, not Gans, which was surprising. I mean, early 1900s, a 99% of a white audience booing the white fighter, but that was only in the arena. 
throughout the entire United States, riots occurred. Black people were taken out of their apartments in their homes and killed because of Gans' victory over Battle Nelson, which would also happen in 1910 when Jack Johnson brutalized James Jeffries. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Just it, it is so crazy to think about that. So let, let's actually change gears a little bit because I want to talk about your number two, who is someone, you know, I think folks uh, our age were able to kind of watch from the very beginning from the 1984 Olympics, Purnell uh, Sweet Pea Whitaker. And unfortunately, you know, he, he passed away recently in just this kind of, you know, unfortunate but accident. It was, a, it was a bizarre ending to a great career. Uh, per, Sweet Pea, this is another guy, similar to Joe Gans, except he did it to himself where his body was ravaged. Purnell Whitaker was a drug addict through most of his career, an alcoholic throughout most of his career. Uh, a lot of the obituaries, no one talked about it. But I remember when I was, when Purnell Whitaker beat, it was either Greg Haugen or, or uh, Jose Luis Ramirez the second time when he, when he won the, when, when he was first lightweight champion. I remember Ferdy Pacheco was the announcer. Ferdy Pacheco was like, during the fight was was stating that he saw he saw Pernell Whitaker drinking a beer uh, a couple of days ago, and he's like, "Man, I've never seen a fighter in, engage in an alcoholic beverage before," and that, that 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 caught my attention. And then rumors began to persist after that that he was doing stronger stuff than beer. In the late nineties, he failed several drug tests. There was a fight with Andre Pestriov. Right before he lost to Felix Trinidad, after he lost to Oscar De La Hoya, in between those fights, he won the fight, but he was uh, his drug test came back dirty for cocaine, and the fight was changed from a victory to no contest. And then after Whitaker retired, he was going in and out of uh, a drug rehab. This wasn't a guy developing a cocaine addict because he was depressed about not fighting anymore. He had, like Aaron Pryor, he had started using drugs. Those are the two greatest fighters I ever saw who, imagine if they didn't use drugs, how great they were. And Pernell Whitaker was as perfect a fighter as you've ever seen. If, when we talk about the greatest lightweights, the only guy on this list that could have defeated Roberto Duran was Pernell Whitaker because Duran always had problems with with boxes, if you, and I'll, I'll talk about that later when we talk about Duran. Actually, it's a good segue. Duran, the most dominate, dominant lightweight champion of all time, held the title for, for, for six years, um, knocked out almost everybody. But some of the guys he had a tough time with, Ray Lampkin, Villamar Fernandez, Edwin Viret, and Esteban De Jesus were all fleet-footed, counter-punching boxers who, for the first eight, nine rounds, gave Duran problems. Now, why they couldn't beat Duran is because Duran had one of the greatest, had one of the greatest, was one of the greatest enduring fighters of all time. His stamina was on that Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Robinson level. He never got tired. And Duran kept coming and coming and beat you to the body, to the shoulders. And he would either knock you out late, those guys, or win a decision. He beat Fernandez and Viret because the last five rounds of those fights, he dominated. Ray Lampkin, he brutally knocked out in the 14th round and while being interviewed, apologized to the audience saying, I didn't train for this fight. If I want to train, because Lampkin was laid out on the canvas. He was laid out for 10, 15 minutes. He was unconscious. 
while he's unconscious, Duran is telling the interviewer, I'm, I apologize to my fans. I didn't train because I had to train. He would be going to the morgue. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, Duan and I have talked a lot about Duran just, just in our uh, our uh, series on the, yes, fab, the, yes, fab, the yes. Fabulous Four, but that was obviously at a little bit of a higher weight and later in his career. Uh, what can you tell us about earlier in his career when he is fighting at lightweight, though not at the same uh, level to to the audience that that he would when he when he comes up to fight Leonard for that first time? But you know, the, there's the, I, I can't imagine that um, he was able to stay at the weight for one because we saw that he he did get heavier, but also like who wanted to fight him there? Like he he had just cleaned everything out. He he destroyed. He emptied out that division when he beat. Esteban de Jesus for the third time in January 1978 to unify uh, the, the lightweight championship world. His job at lightweight has been done. There was a talk of him fighting at lightweight one more time. He was going to possibly fight Alexis Arguello. Wow. And that would have been a great fight. Oh, my but God. Arguello, Arguello lost a, 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 uh, to Villamar Fernandez in a fight that was supposed to be a stepping stone to a super fight with Durant. When Arguello lost to Fernandez, Durant said, fuck it, uh, and he moved up. Wow. That would have been, that would have been ridiculous. That would have been a great fight, and Arguello would have had a shot to beat Durant for one reason. Arguello had one of the greatest right hands in boxing history. And remember what happened when Hearns hit Durant with that right hand. Durant walks into that right hand, you, it might have been what happened to Manny Pacquiao against one Mel, Manuel Marquez or Duran years later against Hearns. Arguello might have been put up, put, put, might have put him to sleep. And Arguello never lost to a brawler. Never lost an aggressive fighter. And I wouldn't call Duran a brawler. Duran was an aggressive fighter with incredible boxing acumen, incredible boxing IQ. I remember when he fought Carlos Palomino, and that's a welterweight. And I, I know in my series, I don't like to talk about what happened in that division, in in the division I'm writing about. But when he moved to welterweight, Carlos Palomino had never been outslugged. He'd always been outboxed. Duran put on a boxing masterclass in, in that fight, showed the whole world that he could box. He never had to do that at lightweight. At lightweight, he would just be relentless. He'd have a, he'd use his jab. Duran is one of the five, one of the two or three greatest body punches in the history of sport, especially at lightweight. You didn't see that so much when he moved up, but at lightweight, he was ferocious. And the first time my father, my father had just gotten out of prison in um, the middle of 1971. And he's teaching, I'm three years old at the time, and he's teaching me how to read. And he's, and he's reading an article about this Panamanian 20-year-old fighter named Roberto Duran, who's going to fight in Madison Square Garden for the first time. I talk about this in the article. He knocked out one of the top contenders in the lightweight division, Benny Huertas, in 66 seconds. 66 seconds. That's September of 1971. My father hears about that. My father goes in June of 72. Duran gets a t- shot at the Scottish, and I just did a podcast on this guy today, the, the, the great Scottish lightweight champion, Ken Buchanan. And my father's like, there's no way in the world Buchanan's going to beat Duran. My father put $100 on Durant, went and got himself a ticket. That fight set a record for a lightweight 
title fight in Madison Square Garden. Sold out crowd over 18,000 people. At that time, Double G, the only people that were selling 18,000 seats in Madison Square Garden was Muhammad Ali, Bruno Sammartino, and Pedro Morales. <laughs> and the New York Knicks. That was it. That was it. That was it. He, but individually, it was only San Martino, Morales, and Ali that were doing those type of numbers. The people that come to see Buchanan, it was a predominantly Hispanic, especially Puerto Rican um, fan base that came to see that fight. My father went and got cheap seat tickets, came home that night and was ranting and rolling and said he just saw the greatest thing since Ali came out. And my father was a huge fan of Duran. And I mentioned this on your podcast before, on several podcasts in my writings. I met Duran when I was 11 years old in Central Park, leading up to the Palomino fight in Central Park. There was a press, Don King held a press conference with Larry Holmes and Roberto Duran. When the press conference was over, my father went up to Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes shunned him and said, no, nah, I got no time. He went to Duran. Duran saw him with me, my sister and I at the time, took a picture with my sister and I, and then talked to my father in Spanish for about five minutes. He was a man of the people. That's not the Larry Holmes that I know. I think it had to do with he had entourage and, and John King. Was <laughs> I, I think I don't think Larry Holmes was in his right mind because at the time he was getting ripped off mightily by Don King, while Duran was the prized possession of Don King. So Don King made sure that Duran was happy because at that point in time, Duran was King's number one priority, sort of like what what. what uh, 15 years later with, with a Julio Cesar Chavez. Right, right. Um, okay, so folks can can read all of those articles uh, on the website. Uh, let people know, you know if they want to dig back through your archives, which divisions have you covered? And then as you get to it, you know, down the line, what other divisions do you plan on writing about? All right, so far on your, on your website, I have covered the, the top five in the middleweight division the top five in the welterweight division, the top four in the junior middleweight slash super welterweight division, and now the top five in the lightweight division. The next division I'll be writing about starting next week will be the junior welterweight division slash super lightweight division. Historically, it's the bastard child between lightweight and welterweight. A lot of great fighters like Roberto Duran and Shane Mosley didn't even bother stepping at, at junior welterweight, just went straight to welterweight because the junior welterweight division has always been one of the lowest-paying divisions in the history of boxing. There's only been a few super fights at junior welterweight, the biggest one being Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Arguello in November of 1982. I'll, I'll begin writing about that division next. All right, so before we let you go, I want to get your thoughts on the upcoming fight this weekend, which is Errol Spence and Sean Porter. I think most people think... You know, Spence is, is the more talented guy. He's, you know, he's, you know, maybe the, the most talented fighter going right now. But do you expect him to to roll over Porter or, you know, because Porter's always game. He's, he's such a game fighter that uh, I, I wonder how much trouble he will give Errol Spence. Sean, if you, if you look at Sean Porter, his style, his herky-jerky moving style is so reminiscent of a young Leon Spinks. And this is Leon, the Leon Spinks that beat uh, a faded Ali. Not the Leon Spinks that became a drug addict and an alcoholic and lost his fucking mind after he got all that money and fame by beating Ali. The Leon Spinks that won the gold medal in the 76 Olympics and the Leon Spinks that beat Muhammad Ali in February 78. Look at him 
Sean Porter even looks like Leon Spinks. <laughs> he fights and looks like him. A very, very similar style. Sean Porter is the hardest working man in boxing because he's not the most talented, but he makes up for his talent with his hard work. Nobody in boxing today, other than maybe Floyd a few years ago before he retired, works as hard as Sean Porter. Sean Porter does what he can to make up for, because he's not the most talented fighter in the world. He's a good fighter, not a great fighter. But as hard as he works and his herky-jerky style, Errol Spence is going to figure it out. I'd say the first three or four rounds, four or five rounds, he'll have some trouble with Porter's herky-jerky style. But beginning with the fifth, sixth round, Spence will time, time that jab, begin to go to Porter's body, and he either knocks him out late or wins a very decisive, unanimous decision like the Mikey Garcia fight. Are there any other fights before we get to the end of the year that you are looking forward to? DAZN is, you know, talking, you know, they, they, they have Canelo and Kovalev, but there's other stuff happening between now I'm, and the I'm, end of the year. I, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, that. I'm looking forward to Alexander Gotchik versus Arthur Betrebiev, which is a unification, a unification of two of the lightweight, light heavyweight championships. Those two guys are two of the three best light heavyweights in the world. Right now, I would put Kovalev at number four. I would have Gotchik, Betrebiev, and Dmitry Bivol over Kovalev. Canelo's going to beat Kovalev. Kovalev's got – all he's got left is a jab and a nice right cross. Canelo's going to beat that body. I see a late-round stoppage. The fight that really – the winner of that fight fights Canelo. Oh, my God. We're talking fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, so before I let you go, I want you to tell people about... Hey, by the way, I want to talk real quick. Uh, Tyson Fury uh, looked horrible in his last fight. He, he, I, I've been saying this for years. He's overrated. He's overrated. Hey, this guy acts like he's Ali. He's not Ali, all right? And he always fades late in the fight. He faded late against Wilder, was lucky not to get knocked out in the 12th round, and he was hurt and holding on in the 12th round against... This stiff. I don't see him beating Wilder in a rematch, and I'm not sure if the rematch will occur in February because he had to. He needed 47 stitches on, on the cut he had last week. Um, and I believe I'll make this prediction right now: Alexander Usyk will be the next great heavyweight champion of the world. Wow, that's going out on a limb a bit. Yeah, he reminds me so much of Evander Holyfield. Interesting. All right. Well. You know, he, Robert said it here first. Um, okay, before we let you go, tell, tell people about the, uh, the podcast that you do, World Championship Boxing, and uh, where they can find it. World Championship Boxing is on iTunes. You just type in World Championship Boxing. If you go to my Twitter page, Robert Silva, S-I-L-V-A 5768, I have the link up there. Um, I like the articles I deal with on your, uh, your website, Fight Game Media. I talk about fighters that the, the average person, the average fight fan, the casual fight fan never heard of. We've done over 50 podcasts on the greatest fights in boxing history, and today we did the 119th greatest performance in boxing history. I've talked about 119 boxers. Now, the majority, many people know of. Uh, Chavez, Leonard, Durant, Benitez, uh, we, you, Mayweather, Tony, Roy Jones Jr., but then fighters like today, Ken Buchanan, who lost the title of Roberto Durant, casual boxing fan never heard of this guy. Or if they heard about him, they're like, oh, that's that guy that was grabbing his nuts and wouldn't keep fighting against Durant. No, the man was a great fighter. 
in my opinion, the second greatest Scottish fighter of all time. Recently talked about Carlos Palomino, the first college graduate to win a world champion. Um, a Mexican immigrant that came to the United States, couldn't speak any English, got a college degree and became the world's weight champion of the world. A lot, a lot of uh, fighters like that that I talk about that people never asked. Did a podcast recently on Floyd Mayweather's uncle, Roger Mayweather, who was a tremendous fighter in the 1980s and lost two fights to Chavez but gave Chavez hell both fights. And it was someone that you wrote about in your uh, Pernell Whitaker piece. Yes, yes. He gave Pernell's toughest fight at lightweight was against Roger Mayweather. He dropped Mayweather in the first round. It was well ahead. And then in the ninth round, Mayweather had one of the greatest right crosses of the 80s. And Whitaker, being lazy, walked into that right hand and was out on his feet. But a testament of Whitaker's greatness, he recovered to win the decision. I mean, he, it was reminiscent of when Larry Holmes got hit by Ernie Chabon. He was out on his feet, but he recovered, survived, and won the fight. All right, so you can find Robert there. Go check out his podcast. And, Robert, really appreciate you coming in and talking about, you know, finishing that, that lightweight series. It was fantastic. One of the great things that I get to do is, you know, when I when you send me the articles, before I put them up, I read through them because I'm just so interested in, in, in what you're writing about. So it's it's great it's great to uh, to read it, and I'm sure the, the folks – and you do a great job of editing stuff. He catches stuff that I make mistakes on. I thought I, thought I read it two, three times. Then I look at the oh, oh shit, he did. I, I'll read it how I missed it. Then when the article's published, I said, oh, oh, Garrett caught it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's what I'm here for. I don't have to. I don't have to make many changes. There's there's very few errors that you make in your writing, and and I know like you do it on like a mobile device or something. So kudos to you on that. So yeah, uh, I, I I do the, I do it on my iPhone notes. Uh, lunchtime at work, I'm, I'm I'm typing on my on my notes as as, as, I, as I'm going th- as I'm going through it. And yeah, and and um, it's it's been a pl- I have a blast writing those articles, and um, I will continue for the foreseeable future. And thanks again for for bringing me on. And we got to come. I, I guess I'll be coming on later for the Canelo Kovalev prediction later on uh, at the end of October. Yeah, well, we'll have to do something special about that one because that's probably the biggest fight to to end the year. But um, thanks again, Robert. So John and I uh, are going to start talking about uh, the last. Raw from 1993 in September, and things are changing in WWE at this point. Okay, we are back. Uh, it is now time to do our 1993 Raw review from the September 27 show, 1993. This show comes from the New Haven Coliseum in Connecticut. And our buddy, Nick McMood, Nick. S- says, I think he said he's in Twitter jail for some reason. I don't know. So he'll, yeah, I don't know what happened there. He's in Twitter jail for something. <laughs> but but um, oh my God. he says, if you, if you look closely, you could find a young 12 year old Nick with uh, glasses on, you know, hasn't really hit puberty yet. So I, I couldn't find him. I was looking, but you Me know, the, the, I, I couldn't I find found, him. I found twenty five Nicks though. That's the thing. I didn't know which was which. <laughs> okay, so so this show again it comes from New Haven. So Nick, what Nick told me is, he said he had tickets, uh, but he didn't know it was a raw taping because he just assumed that they were going to be at the Manhattan Center and that he was going to just get a house show. But lo and behold, he gets 
like a super taping because they tape three Monday Night Raw shows. So they tape a show. Um, they tape the show that sort of the show that we're going to talk about. And then the next show is the Battle Royal for Shawn Michaels' uh, Intercontinental Championship because Jack Tunney at the beginning of this show, he strips Shawn, says he hasn't shown up for his defenses. And then the following week, the third week, you get the match for the person who wins the uh, the Intercontinental Championship. So the, 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 the Battle Royal basically is to eliminate everybody to get to a final two. And then those final two will actually have a match to determine the Intercontinental Championship. So that's what we got for the next uh, – this week and then the next two weeks after that. So at least, you know – the we are in the post uh, all American Lex Luger phase, and there, it doesn't feel as hot as it did. But they're also kind of in this little dormant stage because Summer or Survivor Series isn't for another uh, another month and a half. So you know it's not like they're building to anything. But they have this little thing falling under their lap, which is you know one one uh, Sean Michael Hickenbottom is unhappy with with WWE. So that's why he's uh, he is stripped. And they are looking for a new champion. So, what's he upset about now? You know, it's still undetermined as far as the <laughs> observers that I've been reading. Uh, just uh, unhappy for whatever reason. But, you know, and this is an, actually an interesting topic because we've seen this happen before. And, and the the one that is sort of the, the famous story, which is when Eddie Guerrero finally reaches the apex, right? Like, he becomes the champion in 2004, and he feels the pressure and he feels the depression and he feels the anxiety of being the champ. And uh, he kind of like he can't do it. He, you know, he has to tell, you know, his company like, look, I'm not the guy. I'm not for whatever reason. I'm just not, you know, whatever. And they have to move on from him. And this is a real thing because all of a sudden, you know, Shawn Michaels goes from, you know, being in a really good tag team where he there him and him and Marty are just there to have great matches with you know a, just a number of different teams you know they they got uh, Akeem and the Big Boss Man in 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 one match and then you know they got a smaller team that they could do other stuff with so th- i mean they're they're th- they're there to be a tag team that has good matches and all of a sudden now Sean is there to be a draw and to sort of be on the stepping stone to eventually get the uh, the world title but you know he's he has the secondary belt and there's pressure there. Like there's, you know, there, there's, uh, there's expectation. And all of a sudden he's one of the best guys in the business. And, you know, then he has a match at SummerSlam, which we were watching going like, hmm, wasn't that good. And and so I wonder if some of that has to do with the reason why he's unhappy. Then he just wanted more money. <laughs> I mean, it could be that too. It That's totally could be that. Because he wanted more money. He was upset about something and they couldn't come to agreement. So they decided to strip him and. I remember that. I remember this raw because I remember like being just totally shocked when they stripped him. Like, what happened? You know, like, did he really not make his dates? Like, you know, like, or or what if he goes, huh? All of a sudden, my sidekick is getting over a little bit more than me, and they keep pushing this guy as like this world beater. I wonder, you know, I wonder, I wonder if something, some of, some of it was that too, because you know they are eventually uh, Diesel. You know the, the Vince McMahon probably at the, even at this point probably sees dollar signs in Diesel. Oh yeah, he always he always looks to the big man. Uh, one thing before we get into this show, which uh, also our buddy Nick sent this, but Diane Rosati, who was one of the Rosati sisters, just passed away this week. 
I know. Very sad. Very sad. I liked uh, what I think it was Nick that posted it. I hope Bobby Heaton's waiting for her at the at the gates. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, okay, so l- l- let's start talking about this show. Um, the w- when we left the last show, uh, Scott Steiner beat uh, beat uh, PCO, and I you always laugh when I call him PCO, but that's who he is now. <laughs> yeah, he's PCO. It's easier to then to say. You know Pierre or whatever, um, and so so the 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 story was that if Scott wins, that they will get a title match. But at the end of that show, they decided that the Steiners weren't going to get the title match. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and they're not really explaining what's going on. But the Quebecers are going to defend the title. They just don't say who they're going to defend them against, and you are led to believe that the Steiners are not there. So you're not expecting the Steiners to be there. Uh, also on this show is going to be Jimmy Snuka, and uh, you know I, I, he's, it's sort of out of nowhere that Jimmy Snuka is announced. Uh, but uh, Ludwig Borga is also going to make his Raw debut, so we'll get to see Borga. And uh, the show opens up with Rick the Model Martel against Tatanka. And, you know, when we've been doing these shows, I think the model was maybe on like two of them prior, uh, but he's back. And Tatanka still undefeated, but not as popular with the fans uh, of late that that we've been that we've been watching because that you know just a couple months ago he was so hot and on fire um and then savage says an interesting thing he says that the model and tatanka have history and i was trying to figure out what program that they would have had history from 1992 so so, what was the what, what was the the thing? Don't remember the whole details. I think. Oh, I think didn't he uh, take model took us feather from the from the headgear that you know the headdress that Tatanka had and he used one of the feathers. Like he made like a little, you know, he used it as like accessory to his um, his outfit. And they had two matches on pay per view. They had a match at WrestleMania at in at, at the Hoosier Dome. And then they had Tatanka and Rick the Model Martel. Yeah, it was like a four-minute match or something like huh. that. Maybe a little I longer. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't remember and that. And then they wrestled after Survivor Series as well. Ninety-two. Interesting. Okay, so that makes complete sense uh, because, like I mentioned, they're taping three Raws on this show. Heenan actually slips up and says that the Battle Royal is tonight, which it wasn't technically it was supposed to be next week, <laughs> uh, and. Um, the match, the match, the match is okay. I think uh, the lack of uh, of crowd heat hurt it a little bit, uh, but you know the model is a great heel. He has always been a great heel. He could probably come back to WWE today and be a great heel, uh, and and that kind of made the match for me. Um, you know the model's kind of outsmarting Tatanka. Uh, <clears throat> you know at, at every major turn, and then Tatanka finally makes his comeback. The fans finally get hot. They're fired up, and then they have a brawl to the outside, and and they, and they both get counted out. So I was kind of wondering how they were going to keep Martel hot because I know that he's in this battle royal, and as we'll see, he does really well in this battle royal. But also, you have to make sure that Tatanka stays undefeated because you're still telling that story. So when I saw the finish, I was like, okay, that's that's how they did it. Yeah, this is a this is a good match. Uh, I mean, Martel's great. Um, he's definitely a guy that I always recommend people to watch. Either, 
you know, babyface or heel, if you want to learn, you know, you know, he's definitely the guy to watch, and he's one of the best um, in the ring, well respected. Um, he's definitely called in because Shawn Michaels out, so he's probably filling all Shawn Michaels dates. Um, I was also questioning well, how they're gonna get out of this, cause I, and then you know, double count finish was what they had to do because they don't want to beat Tatanka, and they and they and they need to they need to heat up Martel because they have other plans, you know, immediate plans for him yep. coming up. So. Yeah, I thought he looked good. Martel's great. There's a little moment in the match where Tatanka went for the crossbody second rope, slipped up. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, I was he slipped. Sh- what shocked me about that, that they went through with the spot, I thought for sure Martel would just, just clobber him and mm-hmm. say, you know, fuck it. You know, we're not, yeah, let's, yeah, not, yeah, let's, yeah. Not, uh, let's not go with that. But they still went with it. Maybe Martel thought he can recover. And um, the crowd didn't, you know, didn't eat, you know, didn't really bag on it too much. Um no, it was a good, solid match um, that opened up the show, and then we got poo-poo the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, not... not <laughs> I mean, it's just... God, that... Well, we'll talk about it soon, but man, this show after it was over, I'm like, this is one of the worst of the year, I thought, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we'll we'll get to the to the main event of the, the Quebecers and uh, who they face, because the psychology in that match was very weird. Hmm. Um, okay, so our buddy Joe Fowler, who is is so intriguing to me because I, I I'm just dying to see how long he lasts. I actually think he's really good, by the way, oh, at I his role. Think he's great. So he does the uh, he does the update on who's going to be in the Battle Royal. So we got IRS, Macho Man, Adam Bomb, Giant Gonzalez, Mister Perfect, Owen Hart, the Model Rick Martel, Superfly Snooka. They don't explain why Snuka is back or whatever, but, well, you know, he's sort of a legend. Last week, he was for a one-time-only appearance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bob Backlund, Pierre, and Jacques, Razor, Mabel, Diesel, MVP, the 123 Kid, Bam Bam Bigelow, Marty Jannetty, Tatanka, and Bastion Booger. So, Diesel, even though Sean is, you know, Took his ball and went home or whatever. Diesel's still in this match. Um, and uh, the thing that stood out to me was, even though, like, I can just never see Macho Man be in that intercontinental spot again. Uh, because, you know, he, he was there. He's like, you know, one of the best intercontinental champions ever. And then he he went to that that heavyweight level heavyweight championship it's interesting to me that he was in this match for the intercontinental championship but him being in this match at the same time made it feel pretty important definitely that's what he's there for is make it the the means of, i thought that was just great this segment was great they just read names they're going to be in they get some history they get some mm-hmm. like you know former world champion bob Backlund, former intercontinental champion you know, whoever, uh, Mabel, who's going to get that big man out of the ring? Yep, you know, like yep. he added something for everyone. Um, MVP's in it. <laughs> Not MVP that we know. Uh, yeah. Current, the uh, Brooklyn Brawled as the uh, MVP who later becomes Abe Knuckleball. Schwartz. Knuckleball. All because of the, uh, it's, I guess, a joke on the strike from 94. <laughs> or the potential the, the, uh, the potential strike that's going to happen with Major League Baseball players. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, like like everyone had like a little something, so you it felt like a big battle royal. And honestly, I remembering this battle royal, it did. Like I was excited to see 
and to see this battle royal. I was really excited. and it's one of the, this is one of the raws the you know the battle royal raw is one I do remember really well. I I remember that finish of that battle royal really well and and who was in it and and it, it's a great it's a great little story you know that they build in these three three weeks. Of course, the first hour of it. <laughs> so just to, just to name some of the guys who are not in this match, uh, no Bret Hart, no Jerry Lawler, no Lex, who is still kind of dealing with uh, whatever his back injury was, no Undertaker. So, um, you know, those, those are guys who are not in this match for whatever reason. You know, I, I think it's – I've been mentioning how awesome it is to, to see Bret – kind of out of the title picture because all it makes you want to do is see him back in the title picture and then you can't wait until he finally gets there so just interesting like no real analysis on why but i was just interested to no see ludwig, who right? is he or no he, yeah no no ludwig yeah yeah so yeah you know, but it's still stacked with some talent and and the giant gonzalez he's <laughs> he's in there so ludwig borga makes his raw debut against our friend phil apollo a fan had a Ludwig Borga sign, and Vince McMahon said that it must have been like a plant from Borga to to put that. Or is is either a Ludwig sign or was like an anti Lex sign? No, it was a Ludwig sign with the with the Finnish flag, right? Yeah, I, mean, I could I couldn't tell what it was. I, I was like trying to trying to study. That it, was a quick tell. that was quick on his feet, Vince. There, you know, yeah, saying the plant because Tony, I don't think you should be going out there and trying to get cheers from your one yeah, fan exactly. that's at ringside. You're a heel, man. Exactly. He it was it was a very Donald Trumpian move. It was just, <laughs> like you picked the one person. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Vince is a little steamed about that. Um, okay, so uh, Ludwig his his repertoire. He has the delayed suplex, that uh, you know the strongman suplex, and then he uses Lex's torture rack to win the match. So. Um, I don't remember if they use that to tell any part of the story, but W, you know, NWA, WCW, Lex, that's his, that's his finisher, his torture rack, yeah, well, and that's they, what Ludwig uses. They never brought it up because Lex never used that in WWF. Yeah, but I thought the you know this was a good squash. Um, established all his moves. Uh, Borger does have a great presence. Uh, he looked everything he did looked good. Um, I like the rib shots and the you know working the stomach and leading to the torture rack. I thought it was cool. And then we have uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka against someone named Paul Van Dale. I I, I think that was the name, and Vince had mentioned, like, we've never seen this guy before. Uh, And, uh, yeah, this was, you know, a couple years prior, or maybe it was only one year. I don't actually remember, but there was a WrestleMania match. It may have been eight. Was it Snuka and Taker? That was six. No, 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 it was seven. Seven. Okay, so that was just that would have been two and a half years before this match, and Snuka looked old then. So you can imagine two and a half years later. I mean, he's a jacked, you know, forty something year old dude, however old he is, and he still does the the you know the ridiculous uh, um, from the top rope the splash. Like he, I mean, he can still get up and he still hits that thing. You know, looks great. I don't know if he's killed the guy or not, but. Um, other than that, this was like just background for Crush and Savage and for good measure because it was kind of rough and, uh, Snooka does hit a pile driver before the splash. We don't really see pile drivers except for Jerry Lawler in, in WWE. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's backdrop for 
Heenan, basically now, you know, how how would Bobby Heenan, the heel announcer, have Crush's phone number if Crush is a babyface? But he that's kind of a tease or a, a tell that Crush is turning heel. Um, he calls Crush and he's like, hey, you know, we're using the phone, which is 1993 Raw, uh, to ask him. You know why? Why are you not in the battle royal? And Crush is like, dude, I have no idea. I, I I'm not sure why. And it's not like we just didn't watch Joe Fowler tell us who was in the battle royal. And so you know, this is Bobby Heenan kind of being a dick, asking him why he's not asking him if he's in the battle royal. And Crush is like, no. And so then Bobby is basically saying like, well, you know your buddy Savage is in this match. Like what's going on? (laughs) And Savage is like, Oh my God. Like, you know, crush hates me right now. I don't know why I didn't make the match. And, and Heenan's like, well, why don't you stick up for your friend? And Savage is like, I'm not the matchmaker. And so Savage basically goes, look, crush, if you have a problem with me, let's meet up and let's have a conversation. And then crush hangs up on him again. So this is like the weirdest sort of, I I think it was kind of like, they thought it was maybe a little bit inventive in 1993 to build to a match where these guys are like yelling at each other over a a phone during another match. It was a little goofy, but I mean, you know, it's in a sense, it gives crush a little bit of a personality, which he was severely lacking as a baby face. So I think it's more to his nature and uh, it's just a little corny doing it in this way. I actually like it. I don't remember being this interested in this program, you know, when it first aired. But now that I'm co- going through all the steps and rewatching this again, I, 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 I kind of dig it. It's different. It's you know different than the norm. Um, so I think I thought Savage is great. You know, still playing that. Come on, man, let's talk about this. We're friends and and Crush being pissed. Um, why they put Snooka in the match to kill time while they can get this angle over is beyond me. Cause this, and plus they get the, him the greenest freaking wrestler. <laughs> that guy was so bad. And like, like, like fresh out of wrestling school, bad. Like he just, it was, I, I don't know what he did after this. If he got better, I didn't, I didn't look him up or anything after, but it was just, it was bad, man. This match is it was bad. He's moving awkward. His, his footwork was horrible. Um, Snuka did stiff him on that splash, and he mm-hmm. did he did he did apologize um, right away. Um, I don't think he was stiffing him because he thought that he was a shit, so he wanted to stiff him. He just it just was a stiff splash, and he was a little short, so all his body weight, you know, chest up was like just landed on the guy's sternum. And uh, he apologized, but um, yeah, yeah, bad. Why put it? You know, where's D Lombardi? Where's MVP? Can we get mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Brawler out there for one more time as Brooklyn Brawler, just so he can have a nice little long match with Jimmy Snuka? Jimmy looked really slow and old, um, definitely. But uh, yeah, but I, I, I dig this, this crush and savage stuff. I thought that was, I thought it was great. Heenan was good. Everyone was good, you know. And it's it's different, which is okay. That's good. We need some. We need something different. So there's the recap of the IRS match with the one, two, three kid. Um, and then, uh, and then there's an interview with, I- or was it, was it IRS and, um, whatchamacallit? It, it was, uh, you know, cause one, two, three kid was DiBiase. Who, who did IRS? PJ, PJ Walker. That's who it was. And so then, uh, Vince does an interview with IRS and he's working, you know, he's doing tax accountant stuff. And Vince calls him 
Mr. Rotunda like three times before he corrects himself and calls him Mr. Shyster. Yeah, it was, that was that was very weird. This whole thing was kind of weird. Why is it so dark in his office? Right? Like, yeah. like he, dude, get some lighting in that place. You know, obviously he's in the back locker room. And then I like how he tells that girl, get to work. What do you think I'm paying you for? <laughs> the poor girl's working hard. Uh, but yeah, this 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 is God Rotunda does have his limitations, and you know, definitely the promos is. I mean, he get he he did end up getting really you know not really good, but you know, good at promos. But here is just like he's still a little rough on them. And then we have the tag team title match: Quebecers and Johnny Polo. Uh, and in the ring is Barry Horowitz, and so I thought, hmm, Horowitz and Riggins again. Okay, like. Kind of silly, but it'll be a good match. And instead, they said that Reno Riggins was injured, I think. Injured or sick, I don't remember. Uh, sick, they said. And so Horowitz decided that he was going to uh, request the one 2 3 kid as his partner. And so Quebecers, you know, the, the, the Quebecers and Johnny Polo, they do everything as a team. They got to huddle up, and they got to see if this was a good idea. And then they come out of it cracking up because it's like, of course, we, we don't care about the one, two, three kid. And uh, so one, two, three kid comes out and they have a match. Um, th- this is a weird match to me because I didn't understand. Like I kept waiting for thing- the things that happened. I kept waiting for the explanation in the match and it, it didn't really happen. So uh, Jacques gets, uh, I don't know, this is, what, what, what is uh, one two three could do like a reverse flying kick or something and he knocks him through the ropes into the floor yeah yeah it's a big uh, uh, just a backspin spin kick so like Jacques is out and John, Johnny Polo's like yelling at Pierre going like he's out he's out and Heenan gives him Vince McMahon's water <laughs> to to splash on on Jacques face and so I'm thinking like oh they're the heels they want to take the count out loss like that's what's happening here but no they call for the stretcher Jacques gets taken out on the stretcher and the referee says even though the heel is out of this match his partner the other heel is going to face the baby faces one on two and that was weird so then I'm thinking like huh I wonder if somehow you know one of the baby faces get knocked out, and then it's one on one, or something happens. Instead, one, two, three kid goes against ropes. I think Polo pulls down the rope. The kid tumbles over the top, slams his back against the mat. Polo rolls him back in, but Pierre is like right. Pierre is like laying on his back, and he almost rolls him on top of Pierre, like as if he's going to pin him. So they have to make sure that they're not touching. And so the kid is out, and Pierre just puts his body on him and gets the one, two, three. And I'm just sitting there going, like, what did all that stuff happen in the beginning of this match for? Like, well, what what story were they trying to tell here? I have no clue because the next show, next week, they're in the Battle Royal, and they're fine. Yeah. So, first of all, I did like the beginning part with Heenan interviewing the Quebecers and Johnny Polo. My favorite part was when they're like, all right, he wants to pick a partner. And they're like, let's huddle up. Let's huddle up and talk about it. And they go, 
I love this detail moment, which was great. And then it just fell apart to this. It was when Johnny Poole comes out of the huddle and he goes, depends on who it is. Yeah. <laughs> that was the best. Like, that's like a total chicken shit heel stuff, uh-huh. you know? But it's totally. great because it's him. He's the manager. He's the chicken shit one, right? Yep. Like, but this match, you know, I maybe mean, they thought it was going to be hotter than it be. And then that... <coughs> that you know that the odds were gonna be like oh the fans we got they got them two to one they're gonna win the titles or something like that it just, it just didn't, didn't work because i don't think they ever believed horrors as anyone you know they didn't see him as a star um one two three kids kind of cooled down now um i thought once they're gonna say okay the match is still gonna continue like shock was gonna pop up <laughs> the stretch like oh i was just you know it was just yeah 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 or i think it would have been better if they're like well now you have to be in it johnny polo yeah you know, and then Johnny Polo's in there, and Pierre's freaking out because, you know, like, Johnny Polo, like, he wants to get in there, he wants to tag Pierre to come in, but the referee's like, no, you have to have contact first before you can tag, right, Pierre, because, you know, you're taking place of Jock, Jock was a legal man, so you have to take his spot, so you're legal, so he tries to try to tag Pierre right away, the ref's like, no, you can't do that, right, you have to go in the ring, have some contact with your opponent, and then you try to tag, but then he can't make the tag because he's getting bumped around by every, you know, by Horowitz and the kid, mm-hmm. and boom, 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 he's freaking out, Pierre's freaking out because they're going to lose the title, our manager's going to get pinned, and finally, you know, you know, they they cut off the kid or, or Perry Horowitz and pin him, but instead we got this. It's part of my French Quebecers, this fucked up tag match, like a, a handicap match that made no sense. The crowd was confused. I was confused, and I kind of usually know what people are trying to do, but this one I'm like, what was their idea behind this? I I just I just you know just couldn't get it, and then and then the kid. He, uh, he went over the top rope. It wasn't with Johnny Polo's involvement. It was just he went for this big sa- uh, spin wheel kick, and Pierre ducked, and he went sailing. Okay, that's what he happened. He went sailing, that's what sailing happened. over the top rope, and what a rough fucking bump that was. And then he gets rolled back in, and Pierre pins him because he's exhausted and tired just by Lake dra- draping a hand over his face. Oh, like, this was – I don't know, man. Like, it, mu- it might have sounded good in the back. Someone that might have had a clever idea, it just did not work out at all. I mean, and and they pinned the kid instead of Horowitz, which I, I didn't really yeah, necessarily yeah. think they should need to do that either. I would I would not not have done that at all. Um. So okay, so the end of this show is that uh, they do an interview with Razor, but I think they like they, they didn't time it correctly because it seemed like right when they were getting into the interview they had to they had to go off the air. So I don't even rem- I don't, I mean I don't even really remember what they talked about cuz I don't think he really got a chance to say anything. Actually, they actually accomplished a lot with with the short time they had. Um, I I like this. I like this cuz you know, the Razor's talking about the Battle Royal, talking about winning the crown title, but Macho Man's also in that battle royal, and he wants yeah. to win. So they kind of had a little back and forth, like you know, we have respect you, respect me, I respect you. Or I heard Macho said, which is a great line. Macho's like, I respect you, I think you respect me, right? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just went went back and forth. It was like, like you know, oh man, I can't wait to see these guys go at it. And I think they're kind of teasing them as the final two, even though back when I was a kid, back then when I watched the first time, I thought Tatanka was winning this thing. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is it for this one. 
and uh, we will, like I said, they're 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 really building up the next two shows, and, and which is really cool because you're kind of excited as as fans. Like I I kind of wanted to watch both of them, and I'm like, ah, oh, no, I got to watch them week by week. I can't and, get and ahead of myself. Get a really good battle royal, and we're gonna get a really good intercontinental match. And uh, like I said, I remember these two raws back to back so well when they come to these main event segments. Uh, it's, it's burned in my in my brain. I mean, I didn't know exactly how the finish looks for the for the title match. Like exactly how the guy's selling after he takes this big, this big move. It's crazy. All right, so that that's it from here. Uh, the only thing I can say is uh, buckle up, people, because yeah. <laughs> next week's gonna be ridiculous, and I, I'm still not exactly sure uh, if I'm gonna be able to watch both AEW and NXT before we record. Uh, I'll try at least to uh, you know to pay attention to to, to NXT because I'm pretty sure we're gonna watch AEW live at at Big Dave's house. Are they gonna put NXT on the network right after the full show? I think it's a day later. Hmm. Okay, that could change things. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but that that is it from here. So, like I said, next week, big show next week. Uh, I hope this wasn't a lame duck. Like I thought NXT show was a lame duck, but John actually liked it a lot better than I did. Hopefully we, we weren't a lame duck. Uh, I like, uh, I like, I like just the idea that, you know, we're going to be covering something fairly historic that, uh, especially if both shows are good and, and they rate fairly well, uh, could change, uh, things for the better for some and the worse for others. But, uh, but yeah, but we'll be back next week. So for John, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.